Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Break Room. Good to see (laughs) y'all. If you are new with us, which, where have you been? I mean, we're in like episode 12, 13, I don't even know. Um, We should probably keep count. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But you've been missing out. So you're going to need to not only catch us today, but go Mm -hmm. back and catch all the other ones. Mm -hmm. Um, My name is Dr. Nikki. I am a counseling psychologist here in Houston, Texas. Um, I have a private practice that focuses on relational well-being, specifically focused on Black women's um, mental health as well as sexual health. And then I'm also a diversity, equity, inclusion consultant and trainer. And I have with me today... Dr. Brian Dixon. So I am a child and adolescent and adult psychiatrist up in the uh, awesome city. Uh, we're the 12th largest city in the United States now, uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Um, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And so I get to work with kids, adults, um, uh, families. Um, my belief is that we need to reintegrate mental health into our modern lifestyle. <laughs> and so Ooh, I'm super like glad it. to... Yeah, thanks. I'm super glad to be here today <laughs> and to have this discussion. Um, which, by the way, Brian and I did not like plan this, but we are so color coordinated. So we're like, I, I think this officially makes us the dynamic duo. I completely I mean, agree. We've synced up our moods with our colors and all that good stuff. <laughs> so again, we'll give you a little bit of overview of how we'll use our time today. Um, one, we always start off with sipping a little bit of tea. Ding! Because... Okay. Um, <laughs> Why go to the break room if you're not getting a sip of something? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, which is usually something like a hot topic, something really interesting, just to sort of get us going uh, and get us thinking about things. And then we'll jump into our topic today, which is uh, the impo- imposter syndrome, uh, the devil stay busy. And we're- okay. And he is always around. <laughs> always. Mm. Um, and then we always end our show with the last nerve where we get an unfettered amount of uh, a space and time to sort of let something off our chest um, because dealing with white supremacy keeps something on your last nerve. So mm-hmm. that is our show for the evening. That'll be what we do. So let me go ahead and get us started with the tea. Okay. So Brian, I know you probably have heard about all of the controversy surrounding colorism in the Latinx community, especially in the blockbuster film In the Heights. Mm-hmm. And I just got to say, like, I, sometimes I feel like we have so much progress in some ways. Like the things that we're talking about, though, we're so conversant around social justice and that we even talk about colorism and um, that we can talk about equity and all of those things in sort of our normal discourse. And yeah, we still have major fails like, <laughs> like this. 
So the biggest controversy is so with Lin-Manuel Miranda, it's actually his first musical. So this was pre-Hamilton fame. Um, he did this uh, musical called In the Heights. And it's a, it's a sort of a love story about like a traditional romantic love story. But it's also about um, a, this particular neighborhood um, in New York City, Washington Heights, which is predominantly Dominican and Puerto Rican. Um, and so it surrounds this family and sort of their internal conflicts, but as a reflection of the vi vibrancy and talent and joy and uniqueness of the culture of that particular community. But if you've ever gone to New York City and if you've ever gone to Washington Heights, <laughs> probably the people in the film didn't look too much like the people that you encountered on the street. Mm -hmm. So we want to talk about colorism. If you're unfamiliar, it is this idea that um, the that there is sort of a supremacy or hierarchy of um, not just beauty and, and like attractiveness standards, but also there's actual psychological research that attaches colorism to greater career success, mm -hmm. um, like more likelihood to find a partner and a mate, lower overall racial stress, like all of these very specific psychological outcomes connected to your skin color. Mm -hmm. And in specific, it is the way that we as people reinforce these standards such that people with lighter skin are seen as more attractive or better or smarter. Like all of these really nonsensical correlational ideas we have about skin color and people that are darker skinned are seen as less than less attractive, less, um, less talented, like less intelligent. Like there's literal data to support all of this. And we know it's all coming from mm -hmm. the grand wizard, good old white supremacy, <laughs> right? <laughs> Every time. Every and, time. And Dr. Nikki, it was, so for me, that I I didn't watch the full video. So the video where um, the uh, person from The Root uh, was interviewing uh, mm -hmm. the director, I, I saw it on Twitter and I was like, Lord, I don't have the emotional reserve to watch this. That. Yeah. And uh, and so I, I I guess I'm a little bit irritated only because they, I mean, they've had time to, to talk, have this conversation. We've been having this conversation for the last year and a half, especially since uh, the movements last summer. So to me, it's like they should be ready. So I don't, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know what the deal is. Yeah. Um, somebody is wondering. Oh, you yeah. in the room? You here? Yeah. You're, yeah. <laughs> See, I'm just making it up. I have no idea if that's right. Um, so to, so part of the, uh, I don't give it a lot of defense, but just like the movie I think was made <laughs> in 2019 and it was, the release was delayed because of COVID and everything. However, um, my understanding is he was given some of the same feedback uh, about the casting for the stage play. So, oh. friend, you had time. Wah, wah, yeah. Wah. Yeah. <laughs> but what mostly disappointed me was, so it's, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a missed opportunity, right? It is. And the reason why that's so important is because representation does matter a mm -hmm. lot. Um, I think about the fact that I'm very specific about what images, um, I show my daughter like what sort of doll she's allowed to buy, all of those things, because there is also psychological research, the Clark doll studies, right, from the 1950s that show that when you don't have healthy, robust, joyful, complicated, positive images of yourself, what you do, tend to do is lean into the broader message. And we know the broader message about folks of color particularly black and brown folks, is one that is negative, right? It's a mm -hmm. it's a less than, it's a deficit, it's always uh it is it is not um 
structured to be in our well-being and our benefit, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that becomes really important when we have those images that are counter to that narrative. Um, Part of our capacity to be successful um, and carve out a world that we want for ourselves is our imagination and being able to see those things outside of yourself and reflect it back at you Mm -hmm. with infinite possibilities increases your capacity to dream big for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is why representation matters. It's not just like, oh, you should have had a more diverse cast. No, there, there's implications for this that really mm-hmm. do matter. And so the fact that it, they fell short is a problem. But what mostly bothered me was they were ill prepared for that interview. And the mm-hmm. sister was on fire. Like she was. <laughs> and she was like, um, what I loved about her was that she was not confrontational, but she also was very clear. Like you haven't answered my question. Like, so she reposed the question. And. You know, John Chu, the director, was like, like, there isn't colorism in the Asian community, but that's a different podcast. Oh, exactly. Um, but he was like, you know, it's, it, it's it's something interesting to think about. Sir, really? Like, nobody else brought that? Like, now you just think, like, I just felt like <laughs> the fact that you didn't have a better defense to me mm-hmm. leads me to believe that you knew you fell short and there were no excuses to make. Yeah, none. And so you kind of just looked a little less mm-hmm. intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, this, and then there was one other actress that was cast in one of the leads and one of the other things that really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and so here's this other idea, this idea of erasure. And what she said was, we know in the Heights, there are lots of Latinx and black people. And you're talking to a black Latinx woman. Like she is your skin color. It's undeniable. She says, I am Afro-Cuban. So that for you to say there are Latinx and black people means that you really in your mind don't associate blackness with Latinx Mm -hmm. and you erased her experience Experience. (laughs) right here in your response. So I wish people would listen more than they speak. Just listen, listen. And then the other part is at the end of the day, because I mean, especially when you're putting it, putting together a multi-million dollar movie production, uh, you got some money for some expertise. You can call some folks in. Hey, how does this look? How does this sound? Let's let's run this through the rubric to make sure that in the context of where we are today, does right. this stuff make sense? Right. That right. That's all like basic PR. So come on, if you're not even going to do your basic PR stuff, then what the hell? Ugh. I, it's, it's yes, it, a missed opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was the tea for this week. So I think all of this actually is really a good setup for our conversation tonight. So what we wanted to do is spend some time unpacking imposter syndrome. And we're going to get into the definition of that. The reason why we say the devil stay busy <laughs> is because part of the, the, the fundamental part of imposter syndrome is to lead you to be sort of riddled with self-doubt. It is this... Um, sort of psychological mind state of believing you were not worthy or prepared or uh, uh, competent enough to be in a particular position or role or place. And what I want to say is the devil is a lie. Okay. Amen. <laughs> the Amen. Devil's a Testify. Lie. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, and I say this with full confidence and authority, especially when it comes to black and brown people. If you have made it, quote unquote, to some high level of success, you hold some high rank in an institution, corporation, organization, business, whatever, in your field or profession, maybe that was not an accident. You have more than earned that position. So the devil's a lie. So we want to get into that tonight, unpack that, and then talk specifically, and we'll always leave you with something positive and um, applicable for you to take away. So we're going to talk about strategies to sort of counteract imposter syndrome. 
I love it. And so let's start out with some of the basics, right? Yeah. So um, one of the, I, I am blessed. I have the best job in the world. So being a child psychiatrist is, it's a, it's an honor. It's a privilege. It's a, I don't know, it's a gift. And so mm-hmm. um, anytime that I am teaching about who you are, like if I'm working with patients or working with parents of their kids, I always like to talk a little bit about temperament. So temperament is when babies are first born, you kind of have the easy temperament kids. You have the kind of difficult, colicky temperament kids. And as they grow and as you interact with them and as they interact with the environment, um, different forces, uh, a lot of the nature starts to overlay temperament. And over time, you start to build a sense of yourself. And we call that the ego. So the ego is your sense of self. Um, and uh, if you're in a very supportive environment um, where you're getting love and you're nurtured and you're cared for and you're being validated, um, your ego becomes really, really strong uh, and cohesive and integrated. And that's a very, very good thing. And so uh, that ego over time, as you become a um, pre-adolescent, you become a teenager, you become adult. Hopefully, if the if the foundations are there, uh, much to Dr. Nikki's point when she was talking about uh, representation matters, like when you're seeing yourself from a young age be represented in positive light and um, and in thoughtful light. It's a it's really uh, um, it really makes a strong ego, and that's a good thing. So um, I know Beyonce has her song "Gotta Be Ego," right? And that's actually a good thing. So that's why I like you. I love you, B. So if you listen yes. to the podcast, uh, Ever. Yeah, we love yes, you. yeah, exactly, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And so the key is, as uh, as you build that nugget of your sense of self, um, and that goes into adulthood, um, we as therapists and psychiatrists, uh, we want you to, to keep in mind two different ideas, the idea of egocentonic and egodystonic. So sin meaning um, same or parallel, um, and then dis meaning um, disparate or opposite or clashing, right? So um, uh, especially in the workplace, because remember, the, pod, uh, the Brick Room is a podcast for Black folks. Uh, in the in the corporate space at work, um, finding who you are, figuring out who you are as your ego, and then being around activities that are egocentric, meaning they fit with your ego, is a very good thing, right? So if you're an extrovert and you like people and you really like uh, hands-on, uh, you uh, would really love being at work and you know probably doing some you know happy hours kind of stuff, right? And that's egocentric. And then there's egodystonic. So when you're being put in a position that you don't like, the best example is probably public speaking. Most people hate public speaking. Uh, and so, uh, and that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mesh Sorry. with your, oh, you're, <laughs> I love it. And if, that, and if that doesn't mesh with your ego, then that can cause friction. And that friction can be very, very uncomfortable. And so keep those kind of, um, uh, those foundational principles in mind as we start to talk about imposter syndrome, because um, your ego, uh, yourself, your sense of self in your nature is being put into a system. So the workplace is a system um, and there's lots of different systems. There's hospital systems, there's neighborhood systems, there's city systems, right? Um, and the key is you have to have a strong sense of self and make sure you know who you are so that when you go into a system, you can still maintain some sense of who you are. And so I will kick it back to Dr. Nikki to lead us through the, the discussion. Awesome. Thank you for that context. I immediately thought of my um, daughter who's now nine, but the first time she went to summer camp, like mm-hmm. day camp, um, it was with uh, folks that it was a new context, right? And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm really anxious, right? Like, because the social world of a child is very important. And so the morning of the first day of camp, I'm like, hey, you know, Asha said, are you nervous at all about going to camp? Do you have anything you want to talk about? 
because you're not going to know a lot of people there. And she said, no, you know, I'm pretty confident, mom. So I'll probably go and just make friends. Like it was. Yes, <laughs> like, that is how you do it. <laughs> so, that is a robust ego. In case Absolutely. Example. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. Oh, my gosh. Yes, child. Yes. She's gonna, she could be just fine in life. Like I will be just fine. So. So now we talk about this ego, syntonic, ego, dystonic. The reality is for most of us, um, particularly black and brown folks, when we go out into the world in these systems that Brian mentioned, outside of our family system or our um, community system, right? But sometimes even our neighborhood systems, Mm -hmm. but more often than not in our workplace systems, um, when you are, especially when you're in a professional class, right? So you have um, an advanced degree of some sort. Most of the time you are working in environments or, or uh, systems that are not uh, established for you, right? In which your way of being, sort of your cultural values, cultural expressions um, are not at the center. <laughs> you are marginalized in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. And so that can have a really big influence. If you think about how the reason, part of the reason why we do the break room, which is a podcast focused on mental health and mental wellness of black and brown folks in the workplace is because we recognize how much time you spend in the workplace and how much of an impact that has on your mental health. So if you think about being in a context in which it is not designed for you, where you usually have to carve out space for you, Um, where you oftentimes have to sort of, if not overwork, work very differently and engage differently to be seen and valued, promoted, appreciated, compensated um, (laughs) at at equitable rates. We're talking about you being in ego dystonic contexts. And so two of the ways that we want to talk about specifically tonight are one, imposter syndrome, but two specifically for black and brown folks is this other idea of stereotype threat. So we're going to talk about them each in turn. Mm-hmm. And so imposter syndrome is really an experience that people across, I think, um, racial, ethnic and sexual orientation, gender identity backgrounds experience. I do think that there's some social, cultural components related to gender and race that probably make that more um, maybe exacerbated or intense mm-hmm. for certain folks. Mm-hmm. But it's this ba- the basic premise is I don't belong here and sooner or later somebody's going to find out. Mm-hmm. I'm not really competent enough to do this job. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of time before that's discovered. And so there's a lot of anxiety that comes along with that. A lot of internal sort of... Um, ruminating and manipulation to sort of navigate that right um and so there is this sense of like is today the day or and especially if you think about being in a new role and what happens is the sort of higher up you get in a role the more that sense sort of increases right because now you're engaging in activities you've probably never done before and for especially for uh, us black and brown folks there's also a higher likelihood we haven't had proper mentorship or sponsorship about how to do these things mm-hmm. we're sort of making it up as we go along mm-hmm. and so there is this real sort of living concern that i'm going to lose this opportunity or i'm going to be seen as less than um mm-hmm. because i'm not really qualified to be in this space um, and then the other p- side of that, so I'm going to talk about both of them, then we'll double back and sort of talk about how they're related. And then there's this other um, concept uh, from social psychology from Claude Steele, um, and I forget the other guy's first name, Aronson, and it's called stereotype threat, Jeffrey Aronson, stereotype threat. 
And so we talk about stereotype threat is sort of situational, right? And that in that in a particular context or situation, I have a conscious awareness that there's a stereotype that I am um, insufficient for this role. I'm incapable of doing this thing. My, my, I'm inferior in some way. And so because I'm aware of that stereotype, it actually changes my behavior. It changes my response. And so now I'm engaging in all of these compensatory behaviors or second guessing myself or worrying about how other people are perceiving me to just do the task, even if I have even if I have confidence in the task. But if I know that other people think that I can't do it, that undermines my confidence. Ain't that a mind fuck? Preach, sister. I feel that shit every day. And so, if you if you haven't picked up yet, the most fundamental, um, I think, detriment of both of these is that you expend a lot of unnecessary energy Mm -hmm. managing these worries, these anxieties, Um, and and they are very real, right? Mm -hmm. They they shouldn't be, but they are real. so I wanted to maybe talk about a little bit examples of like imposter syndrome versus stereotype threat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll think uh, about me in terms of imposter syndrome. So um, when when I first started off as an assistant professor, so I went straight through from undergrad to grad school uh, and then straight into my first uh, teaching position. And so I was teaching college students when I was 27. And some of them were like 21, right? What? Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> is it? No. <laughs> Technically it was, right? And mm-hmm. so I had a lot of imposter syndrome at that point. Like, oh my God. Like literally I was just where you are the other day, but I'm in front of this. Like I never forget my first um, class where I was in a large lecture hall where, the, you know, there's a stadium seating and there's mm-hmm. like 300 kids in there and I'm down, you know, me and... Um, I, I look young now. So imagine how young I looked at 27. Mm-hmm. Right. And so all of that anxiety that I had about that and what it actually ended up doing is it made me actually be more disconnected. And that also, I think, is one of the negative consequences. Right. Because you're spending so much time in your head worrying about is today the day that I get discovered? What's going to happen to me when they realize I'm not really able to do this? How am I going to handle that? It takes you out of the moment. Mm-hmm. And what that does is that actually prob that creates a, a context in which you are actually more likely to underperform, mm-hmm. number one. But two, it also robs you of the experience of being able to build your self-esteem and your self-efficacy about the thing so you don't have to feel like you're an imposter. <laughs> and so I'm grateful because... Um, my mother was a public school teacher for the majority of her career. And so even though I was teaching on a different level, quote unquote, she had way more years of experience just about teaching. And she came to observe my class one day when she came to visit and she was like, I just think you're kind of hard on them. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> what? And she was like, you know, you're kind of a little aggressive. And then I had to like really sit with that. And I was like, I'm so anxious about mm-hmm. being seen as too young or not competent enough or not like, you know, older than me, that I think I was overcompensating. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a missed opportunity for me to really make a positive impact in the classroom. 
Yeah, and trauma begets trauma begets trauma. Y'all going to hear us say that a million times, y'all. Yeah. Um, and so that's yeah, why it's super, super important that we tackle all these nuances of the human experience. And so yeah. um, I, I think I, I have so many times, uh, I have so many examples of imposter syndrome. I can't even, we don't have time to, to get to them all. But the one that stands out the most, um, so as a physician, um, you have to go to undergrad and then you have to apply to medical school. Um, and especially in the great state of Texas, we had a lot of medical schools when I was getting ready to apply. Uh, and it truly is, it's kind of a popularity contest meets, um, standardized testing that is unfair because the, the research is now proven that, uh, the MCAT, which is our test that we're supposed to take, um, uh, disproportionately um, ostracizes black kids who can't go and do all the, the testing, um, boot campy stuff yep. that you do. Same thing with SAT, right? I was going to say, same thing with GRE and mm-hmm. SAT and. Yep. Uh, LSAT, all the mm-hmm. standardized tests yeah, yep. are all shitty. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, so I took the test. I could only afford to take it once because I didn't have any money to try to take it again. Um, and I had to kind of rig up my, my study schedule. I made what I made. And so I applied to medical school, all the ones in Texas, mm-hmm. and I got rejection, 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 rejection. And I got one interview and I got one acceptance when I went and did that interview. And so you would think that, holy shit, this is awesome. Yeah, I'm in medical school. Yes. Yeah, I get it. No, ma'am, because I get there <laughs> and the whole time I'm there, I'm thinking, am I supposed to be there? Mm-hmm. Right? Because... If all these other medical schools didn't yes. want me, <laughs> then what does that say about the one school that did take me? Am I a charity case? Am I stupid? And so yeah. uh, true to form, just like Dr. Nikki, I said, shit, I'm going to prove these mofos wrong. And so I was the student uh, class president. I was involved in all the organized medicine organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I was doing the most. And if y'all go back and listen to our podcast, I think it was the first or second podcast about black excellence and John Henryism, yes. Yes. I nearly burned learned out like yeah. first year medical school. And so, yes, these uh, imposter syndrome can have very dangerous ramifications. And I'm really glad I stepped through it. I'm really glad that I had, uh, I didn't have any black uh, uh, mentorship because there just weren't any black doctors around, but I uh, I did have some folks who said, you know what, just mm-hmm. hang in there. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that that's a really interesting sort of, um, paradox I, that's not quite the right word i want to use but for for so so on the one hand imposter syndrome is something that we all experience right like mm-hmm. i said it cuts across racial ethnic and gender um uh, lines and all of that on the other hand the context that black and brown people start off with is different than mm-hmm. our white peers or uh, folks of other marginalized so, uh, for women experience different things and, and women identified folks experience different things um, in terms of being taken seriously or being, you know, um, seen and being heard and all of those things in the workplace. So the effects, I think, are multiplied for us, or at mm-hmm. least the sort of nuance around it is different for us. Because like you just said in that example, the opportunities for representative mentors are few, if non-existent. And mm-hmm. so there's also not that sort of... Um, experienced voice that supportive voice to sort of off external voice to offset all of that internal experience mm-hmm. yep so then we add on this layer of of uh, uh stereotype threat right and so mm-hmm. stereotype threat is this whole situation where like um one of the one of the classic research examples is there is this uh pervasive stereotype that women and girls are not good at math and science 
And so we, you know, unconscious bias of the teacher or conscious bias, sometimes the teacher, very like young in elementary school, we start seeing these differences in boys being um, sort of supported and, and allotted for their capacity in science and math and girls sort of, they don't get that same praise, right? But if I'm a girl and I'm really interested in science and math and engineering and I want to do this thing, but I'm also aware consciously that there's not a lot of girls and women that go and do this thing. And then I've had all of these experiences in the classroom where when I wanted to solve the problem at the board, I didn't get mm-hmm. called on, but my the guy sitting next to me did. Now I have this working awareness that people don't expect me to be able to do this well. Mm-hmm. So does that mean I shouldn't be able to do it well? But I kind of think I do and I dig it. But so what do I need to do to make sure that people know that I can do this really well? And so it's this really sort of, folded in internal really weird space that we do and i think that that is why i think that that's the added layer to the imposter syndrome for black and brown folks Mm -hmm. is a recognition that y'all don't expect me to come in here and do pretty much nothing anyway Mm -hmm. you kind of i i have a feeling you're actually kind of waiting for me to mess up yep or i I kind (laughs) of I kind of have the feeling that even when I do something really well, you're going to take credit for it anyway and not give it to me, right? We have this awareness of all of these things. And so it leaves us really sort of on the back foot all the time about how do I show up here in a way that feels authentic and genuine to me while I also get recognized for that, while I also get valued and appreciated for that, while I get properly compensated for us for that. And so it, again, all of this internal mental energy that we end up expending Mm -hmm. over some BS. Mm -hmm. So my example um, is I do, I have a lot of math anxiety. I could talk about the, talk about trauma against trauma. I went to Catholic school, K through fifth, and those nuns did not play. (laughs) Oh my God. Around times tables and long division. Like I still like, like literally I can go back to that moment. Now that was some real trauma. Um, And so I don't know that I'm not, I don't know if I'm not good at math, but I know that I came to believe very early on that math was hard for me and it was not something that came easily. So fast forward to graduate school, I'm in multivariate statistics, which is an advanced statistics class. Lord, mm -mm. me and statistics, no. Mm -mm. Right. But I'm trying to get it right. Like, this is the thing. I'm going to learn these things. I'm going to do it. And so I would, you know, already vulnerable, already like anxious, raise my hand to ask a question had this white male professor every single time I raised my hand. That is an excellent question. Great question. Wow. That's like, it was, there's a whole thing. Anybody else raise their hand? Oh, da, da, da. oh, look at chapter this. Da, da, da. And I was like, dude, I know you're not doing this to me. Right. Like we're in a class of like in grad school. Um, it's like, eight to 12 people in a class, right? So it's like, okay, every time I raise my hand, my answer is like that excellent. Like you were doing a lot right now and it's not helping me at all. Like it was, it was like the equivalent of like, oh, precious. Like that's what it, oh, you're so precious. Like that's what it felt like. Like this is not helping me at all. And so I did confront him um, after class one day. I asked, can I speak to him? And I said, I don't know if you're aware, but- Every time I ask a question in class or try to get clarification, there's a lot of energy and and sort of big deal made out of it. And I I don't see you doing that with other folks. And he was like, oh, like we immediately went on the Mm -hmm. defensive, right? Okay, now I know I'm right. 
Yeah. Like, you mm-hmm. just you have just <laughs> affirmed for me that my experience is actually what is happening. Um, and I was like, it would be just really wonderful for me if you could not do that. Like, mm-hmm. just just answer the question. Like, I'm okay. I don't need all the other stuff. And there was more defensiveness, right? Mm-hmm. But there's that stereotype threat. I'm already in this heightened awareness of like, I can't do this. I don't know. Are they going to kick me out? I need to learn how to do this for my dissertation. I might not be able to pass this whole thing. And then here was this big, great question. I mean, it was so extra. It was so, so extra. Oh, oh my Lord. gosh. Well, and, and I love your example. And I love what you said earlier, because a lot of these things cut across ethnicity and age and gender and sexual orientation and the whole nine yards. And so my example um, of stereotype threat um, was actually back when I was uh, 16. So I started working at Ecker Drugs, uh, the, the drug store, the drug chain. And I, I learned so much. Brian, how long did you work at Ecker Drugs? Um, <laughs> that, that was a pivotal moment. It in was, life. child. It was. So six years total. I did it two oh, years. Oh, that's in, a long time. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, and that, and I, I kid you not, Dr. Nikki, that was the, that's the thing for me with the stereo stereotype threat. And so when I first got hired, um, I was hired part-time and mm. nobody expects a damn thing from part-timers, right? Mm-hmm. Especially a, a black kid who's just here, you know, again, uh, probably imposter syndrome. Oh, I, I looked out and got this job. Yeah. Um, and so I go through and I'm like, okay, they don't expect anything of me other than to unload the truck and mop the floors. They don't expect me to know anything about the store, know how to order, mm-hmm. no customer service. Cause I, I the position that I started in uh, was very much kind of, you know, low man on the totem pole. And I am, I, I volunteer for extra shifts. I'm starting mm. to, I'm busting my ass. I'm learning the store. I'm doing my due and I'm still, I'm still part-time. Uh, but I'm, when I say I'm picking up shifts, I'm picking up so many shifts that I'm working between 30 and 40 hours a week during high school. Mm-hmm. And so finally I'm like, uh, and I, I remember um, uh, one of the other full-timers was like, Ooh, yeah, I'm tired. I'm going on vacation. I'm like, wow, that sounds really awesome. You know, how do you, how do you even get time to go on vacation? And she was like, Oh, well, if you're full time, you're, can you qualify for PTO mm-hmm. and vacation? Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, um, then why am I not full time? Because I've been working like, over I mean, you're the same as you, Sheila. We are the same. So, so <laughs> Dr. Nikki, you don't know this, but her name was Sheila. I shit you not. <laughs> yep. Sheila. She worked at the, she worked at the front cash register. That is too funny. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, uh, Sheila, why don't I get, and she was like, you know what? If I were you, and she was a, a short uh, white lady, and she was like, uh, "If I were you, I would take it take it to district and see if they can mm. pay you back pay." Mm. And this was my this was my first experience in trying to stand up for myself yeah. and fight back against the stereotype threat because the stereotype threat again is if you're part time, you ain't gonna uh, ruffle any feathers. Right. You're just gonna show up, go home. Uh, yeah. You know, I do a half ass job and go home, and then. Uh, and a, a lot of those things re- reverberate even today with uh, the wage gap and people mm-hmm, not returning mm-hmm. to work, right? Mm-hmm. People are just like, oh, well, they're lazy. No, no. These, they have legitimate concerns, right? And so I had a legitimate concern. I had the documentation. I had all my little check stubs when making my 425 an hour. And I drove my <laughs> I drove my happy ass down to Houston to the district office. Oh, I you made, did it, did it, did I it. sure the hell did. <laughs> and I made an appointment with the district manager and I said, 
hey, I'm going to present my case. And he said, you know what? You're right. You've consistently been doing it. You're a model employee. We're going to pay you back pay, including pay you for the the missed PTO. And I did that when I was like 16, 17. Wow. So yeah, it is real. And it was terrifying because here I am in this uh, white dude's office in Houston, and I'm driving my little Plymouth Acclaim down the highway, uh, Highway 59. And I'm like, yeah, I... I could get fired, right? Mm-hmm. I could get fired. I could be blacklisted. Who, who fucking knows? I just, it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's what taught me that systems sometimes, systems sometimes can be very toxic um, yes. and very unhelpful. And so, yes. yeah, even though, and that was at 16. And then I've been just repeating this pattern again and again and again mm-hmm. until I said I have to break the cycle. Yeah. That, well, sir, that is awesome. I don't. I cost, I was a rebel riser at my job at the United <laughs> Artists Theaters um, at age 16, but I didn't advocate for myself in that way. I, yeah. I did in some ways, but not, I didn't drive anywhere. I, just, yeah. <laughs> I used to be in Tim's office all the time, shaking my fingers and telling them how racist assholes they were and how I wasn't going to take it um, all the time. I've been this way since the beginning. I, I mean, everybody it. didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but that is so impressive. Um, uh, I try. No, I mean, but I'm do. exhausted. I am exhausted. Yes, yes, child. Woo. So that, so that is one of. So now we want to talk a little bit about what are the consequences of these, right? These internal mental machinations, and one is, and that is a lot of emotional labor, and it does create stress in your body. It creates fatigue, um, and those have long-term negative consequences, right? So you got to be really careful about how deeply rooted you let these negative ideas sort of take um, life in your mind the other thing for me is and for me this always feels like the biggest one while you are doing all of this working around and and mental gymnastics and managing anxiety and all of that stuff what it does and i always think about the tony morrison quote that one of the fundamental um, functions of racism is distraction is to distract us. And I that for me feels like the biggest deficit. We are doing all of this. And what that does is actually sort of, this isn't quite the right language. It sort of takes us out of our professional development because we're spending so much time worried about all this other stuff. We don't really get to invest in our own assets, our own talents and grow and evolve in ways that really are ego syntonic for us right Mm -hmm. so we really are the system pulls on us to keep us disconnected from our best development in addition to the fact that the system is already sort of rigged and that the higher up you get the fewer mentors there are that look like you the fewer people that actually have just paved the way let alone whether they want to be a mentor or not (laughs) but just the fewer people that have walked that walk right Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. you are missing out on your uh, ability and your right to be invested in your own self-development, to actually evolve your talent and skills to their utmost capacity because you're too busy doing all of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. The devil stay busy. Right? All the time. <laughs> all Preach. the time. Um, so that's another consequence. And then I think um, um, a third consequence is that you you sell yourself short. Um and that, that to me feels like maybe the more sad one. Like you really are so busy thinking about the external and, and I don't want to at all um, sort of 
diminish the real impact that systems have, right? We, excuse me, we interact with systems because they're real. Even if we can't always visible, they're not like visible barriers, but mm-hmm. the limitations they place on us are very real. So I'm not, I don't want to diminish that. But at the same time, you do sort of um, lose, you, you, you um, minimize your own ego. Mm-hmm. So we're going to use that term, right? So you are, are sort of um, contributing to, co- colluding with the system to minimize your own ego. Um, and that just, we don't need to do that. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. like you just, you deserve better. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then related to that um, is that sometimes because you are so caught up in imposter syndrome or so worried about stereotype threat, you actually um, end up over-functioning and you don't reach out for help and support. And that I will, I will share personally. I was in academia for the majority of my career. And I think, and one of the metaphors I would use to sort of describe my experience was, um, I was a supermodel in a runway show and everybody had the right pair of shoes so they could walk and perform and do the thing. But I was in a size shoe that was two sizes too small. And I'm asked to do the same thing, but I'm cringing and my feet are hurting the whole time, but I'm doing it with a smile on my face. Because that was my experience. I felt like people could navigate the system because they had support. They they went and asked questions. They knew what to ask for. And I did a lot of um, effort overperforming or trying to figure it out on my own. And that wasted a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of intellectual capacity. Whereas other folks would just take somebody to lunch and, you know, they come back and be like, oh, well, you just do it this way. Or like, I, I remember like being four or five years into my career, and somebody was saying, you you do all your statistics? Do you know people that just let other people run their statistics for them? That's how they publish so much. And I was like, what? What? People do that? <laughs> and me feeling like that stereotype threat, right? Like as a black woman, I can't do that. They're going to question that if my research is actually my research, if I farm my statistics out. So I have to figure out how to do it myself, right? Um, and that, that, that was a cost to me. That ended up me, that ended up, being me not enjoying being in, being present with my experience as much as possible. Mm-hmm. 100%. Anything else you can think of in terms of consequences that I didn't cover? Yeah, I mean, you covered it all. I'm just, even listening to it, I'm tired because I'm just like, damn, you're right. That is, that's me, that's me, that's me. And I'm like, how am I still standing up here and doing this shit? And yes. the, the, the only thing that keeps coming to mind is, you know what? At the end of the day, um, I get to spend time with uh, Black Excellence. I get to send, spend time with Dr. Nikki. I get Aww. to spend time with our awesome co-hosts yes. and the Living Corporate Network. And we're building something new and fresh and authentic. And mm-hmm. yeah, and so that keeps me going. But yeah, you're right. Because I'm reading all this. I'm like, damn, I should just quit. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. No, we're not going to quit. So, no. so, so good. So here are some strategies that we have for you. Um, the first and foremost is be, become more thoughtful and aware of what messages you are internalizing. And by that, I mean, we all have these messages, implicit and explicit, coming at us all the time, like in a way that our subconscious is picking it up and we don't even realize it. So then your responsibility is to be more intentional about the ones you choose to consume. What are the ones that you choose to internalize, right? Um, and so if you are on social media or you are around certain people, are the social media posts that you're following ones that affirm your values and ways of seeing yourself? 
are they ones where you're constantly feeling like you're less than? Mm -hmm. Well, if that's the case, stop following them. Follow the ones that make you feel good. Surround yourself by people who can validate your experience and also remind you of your worth and your value, right? So choose what you are pulling in. Um, the other thing that I encourage folks to do, and I do this with my clients a lot, I know people talk a lot about gratitude journals and keeping track of what you're grateful for. And I think that is a wonderful practice. But I always ask folks to also keep a proud, a, a pride journal. And by that, I mean, at the end of the day, what are some things you did for yourself, by yourself, that you were proud of? Like to really sit in that and continue to affirm your worth and continue to affirm your self-esteem, right? I did this project at work when nobody else picked it up. Right. Um, I drove myself to Houston, Texas and advocated for myself at age 16 uh, to get this raise in back pay. That is no small thing. Right. And even if your thing is small, it is the practice of reminding yourself that you are valuable, that you are worthy, that you are contributing something that no one else is contributing. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and, and Dr. Nikki is uh, a, a million percent correct because your brain is uh, biologically geared to work towards the negative, right? And so, <laughs> and we as black folks are already told we're less than, right? And so we tend to focus on the negative. That's called confirmation bias. We're confirming that we're bad and stereo, mm -hmm. stereotype threat, uh, imposter syndrome. So we confirm that we're bad. And so what Dr. Nikki is saying right now, y'all, I write this shit down because you have to work to be uh, be in love with yourself, yes. right? I love this pride journal idea and I'm totally going to do it. I'm like, holy shit, you're right. This is great. Keep <laughs> yes. talking, keep yes. talking, sister, because I'm like, I oh, hell it. yeah, this is great. <laughs> um, I love it. Um, the other thing is to be intentional about who your peers are, right? And so one, to recognize that you can actually get peer mentorship that is equally effective and um, impactful for you. So choose your peers wisely. And what you want to do is you want to have folks around you that affirm your experience, but also can give you balanced critique. Because this isn't the alternative to to, um, to imposter syndrome isn't to sort of be like egocentric and think that everything you do is wonderful, <laughs> right? Like that's not the balance. But have folks that are in your peer circle and not, I cannot stress this enough, folks that are at the same sort of level or playing field as you. So they have a context for where you are who can also say, no, you did that. And also say, hey, one of the things you might want to do going forward is, right? That is how you develop that capacity for you to continue to elevate yourself and grow. So we're going to do all of those things. We're going to always continue to big up ourselves, right? That was one of the other things that's part of the pride journal, but also just like, hey, in the middle of the day, be able to advocate for yourself or in that meeting, be able to say, yeah, that was my idea. Do those things. Mm -hmm. The other one is do it anyway. Let me tell you something. There's uh, somebody, uh, there's a, uh, there was a woman in the business school at U of H that was there. And she told me about this research um, where, um, where they compared men and women um, and taking promotions in the workplace. And men will say, oh, there's a job opening. Let me apply for it. I want to do it. And women will spend, well, I don't have a certification. Let me go get this certification. Let me go get this extra hour. Let me shadow this person. All of this extra machination that we do effort before we apply. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Do it anyway. Have the confidence of a mediocre white man. That's Preach. what I mean by do it anyway. 
nobody has ever told Chad that he couldn't do it, couldn't succeed, couldn't go after it. Chad just believes that he should do it because he wants to do it. It'd be fun. It'd be mm -hmm. something new to do. Same thing for you. If there's that promotion, go for it, especially if it's internal. And if you don't get it, ask for a meeting. Why? You are a part of that community, that corporation. You contribute at the very least. They can give you an explanation as to why, right? Preach. So Preach. do it anyway. Do it scared. Most of what happens is that folks are learning on the job anyway. You are no exemption to that. Go get yours. Mm -hmm. Preach. I mean, just look at the number of podcasts and the number of white dudes doing podcasts, right? <laughs> and then here we oh, come. Oh, Exactly. The four of us. And we're like, well, we're not podcasters. And Zach and everybody's like, just do it anyway. Just well, do it shit, anyway. let's, let's make it happen. Yes. We are doing it. Yeah, love um, it. And then the last thing that I think is most important is really make sure you have um, developed and continue to assess. Like, like this isn't something that's a one and done. You have to revisit it, right? That's the assess part. Your own internal standards, right? What success looks like for me, Dr. Nikki, at this point in my life is different than A, than what I would have thought 20 years ago. That's one. But also is not the same as what Dr. Dixon's success is, right? That we cannot buy into this sort of white supremacist thought of like having more, having bigger, mm -hmm. um, having titles as our only way of defining success. Those things are wonderful. Having a lovely home, having a nice car, those things are wonderful. But if none of that is really rooted in a sort of foundational understanding of what you value for yourself, right? What are the things that you can be proud of for yourself? Then it all is very fragile and can easily be sort of taken away or, or dismissed. So really develop your own internal sense and continue to assess your internal standards for success and pride. I love it. These are amazing tips. Uh, and uh, make sure uh, that especially as you're listening, uh, we have recently become a podcast. So I know right now y'all are on the web show and this is really awesome. And we want y'all to see us and see us interacting. But if you're driving somewhere, you got a, you know, 45 minutes to an hour to burn, and you want to learn some stuff, then make sure to download the podcast through your favorite podcast app and put it on your download, uh, just in case you don't have cell signals so that you yeah. can play it from your phone or your device. So yeah, because these are these uh, these ideas are absolutely wonderful. Awesome. Lastly, be a friend, tell a friend, right? So we're happy to have you all here tonight. Make sure you keep telling folks about the the break room and what we do. Subscribe, send them the link. You can go ahead and shoot them that Apple Podcast, that Spotify Podcast, um, so we can uh, continue to grow our audience and be able to share all of these wonderful nuggets with everybody. So I think that brings us to the last nerve. Mm. <laughs> We're going to let Dr. Dixon have the last nerve tonight. All right, y'all. So uh, as y'all well know by now, uh, the last nerve is something that uh, is getting on black people's last nerve. It's uh, something that's irritating. There's a lot right now to be irritated about. Um, what I'm going to concentrate on, and we, we give ourselves about 60 to 90 minutes. Um, and so Second. I'm going to... Second, second, oh yeah, oh shit, y'all was about to get a sermon from that me. That was going to be, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so I think tonight, I said the same thing last time. Yeah, <laughs> and so tonight, um, uh, I'm going to start the timer, all right? So tonight, we're going to talk about being a consultant. So number one, let me be very, very clear. As a consultant, because I am a consultant of mental health for kids and adults and, and everywhere in between, I did the damn work. I spent 13 years doing this work. 
right? And so I'm an expert in what I do. And when someone calls me in to give my opinion, I do so. There is no expectation at all that you do what I say, because you know what? This is a free country. And if you want to make a shitty choice, that is your constitutional right. All right. So let's let's get that clear. Let me be super, super clear. DEI work did not start overnight. I don't know where I keep hearing this shit. There are scholars who have been working on this their entire careers. Okay, so let's be clear about that. So if you then, you or your company, invite in a DEI consultant, it's because they know what the fuck they're doing. Like, let's just be clear. If you don't like it, then don't listen to it. Because like I said, it's a free country. (laughs) Yeah. If you are feeling all some sort of way right now and your heart is racing and, oh, my God, why is he saying this? It's because you're probably being the problem. Open your mind. You're not right about everything. Open your mind. And 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 at the end of the day, if you don't want to take the advice, don't take the advice. But you don't have to poison the well for other people who do need to hear the message. All right. So uh, as uh, we're a religious country. Right. So uh, and uh, we, we don't want to be a stumbling block. OK, so let me put it in terms that most of y'all can understand. <laughs> let people grow and learn at their own rate. Um, and yeah, and when it comes to consultants, if you don't like them, don't hire them back. All right. So at the end of the day, you don't need to be an asshole to them. You don't need to argue with them. If you don't like it, you go, oh, oh no, thank you. I'm good. I'll, I'll, I'll move. I'll pass. I'll keep all right? being a racist yeah. asshole. Uh, correct. Correct. <laughs> I'll That's keep it. being a homophobic right? dick. Exactly. Because <laughs> after, I mean, we have been through, I know I'm over time, but we have been through 15 to 18 months of this shit, y'all. Like we got podcasts on it. There are books on it. We're having, we're having thoughtful conversations. We are doing the damn thing. Like black folks, black DEI folks, and I'm not even a DEI expert. I'm, I play one on podcast, right? <laughs> I, there are people who do this full time. We are exhausted. There is no other way that we can do to convince you of this. And so let me stop there. I just, if you don't want a consultant, then don't hire them. But at the end of the day, you then can't go out and be like Black Lives Matter. And then, oh no, we don't want to listen to you. And I digress. That was Usa. a good last Husa. That was a good last third, right? Ooh, I'm yeah, sad. yeah, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, I thank you for letting me have the last nerve, uh, Doctor Nikki, because most time you going off, and I, I appreciate it. So, yes, uh, yeah, hey, so, we yeah. share, share alike. So, guys, gals, y'alls, everyone in between. Next week is our last show for our first season. Can you believe it? I know it's so sad. It's been a whirlwind. It's been oh. exciting. I am so. Um, this has just been a wonderful experience. I'm Mm -hmm. so looking forward to what we do as we continue to grow and evolve ourselves. Mm -hmm. So join us next week. What we're going to do is give a recap, sort of a highlight of all the wonderful things that we talked about. (laughs) Yes, yes, I love this one. Um, uh, Next week to sort of round out our um, season. And then always remember, you can always email us at thebreakroomllc at gmail.com. One, if you have questions, But two, if you have ideas and topics of things you want us to cover as we get ready for season two, which will be launching at the end of the summer, early fall, we want your input. This this is a community. The break room is a place where we all come together. And so if there's ideas, topics, things you really want to see us cover and talk about, drop us an email and we will take that into our planning as we get ready for season two. Y'all, it's been a blast. We're going to say peace and we'll see you all next week. Bye, y'all. Bye.